Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. The following podcast is equivalent to a TVMA rating thanks to the author's strong and frequent use of adult language and graphic recollection of her sexual escapades. We strongly advise listening alone or with an extremely open-minded, politically incorrect companion, such as a gay bestie. Welcome to another episode of How Bitches Are Made. I'm your host, Rachel Melvin. Thank you all so much for joining us. Today we're going to be listening to part two of last week's chapter, The Perfect Prick. This one I am really proud of and can't wait to talk to you all about, so let's jump right in. Here's this week's story. The following is a true story, as sad as that is for me to admit. Names have been changed to protect the innocent, and the anything but. Chapter 17, The Perfect Prick, Part 2. When nothing's right, go left. It's one of my favorite quotes. Of course, I'd never considered applying that theory to a dating app. And as I stared at the picture of a man I recognized but didn't actually know, I wondered which direction to swipe in order to effectively handle this hot potato of interweb diplomacy. With my thumb lingering over Kevin's face, I began contemplating my options. I could swipe left, but then, of course, nothing might happen, which would mean he either didn't find me attractive or that he hadn't yet seen me. But of course he'd seen me. We were in the desert, for God's sakes. The only people out here were retirees and military men who married as soon as they were able to start having sex. Anyone left was either in town visiting or among the only other ten people young and single enough to use a dating app in the first place. So if we didn't match, it could only mean one thing. And as I wondered how that might feel the next time I saw him in person, I wondered if it'd feel any better or worse than me swiping right and having him be in that position instead. Then again, there was always the possibility of a match. And considering my sound bath experience... I had a sneaking suspicion that that was what I'd get. I let my thumb pull back, as if I were shooting an arrow aimed toward an eastbound-facing Cupid I hoped to nail. And in suddenly more ways than one. I couldn't help but notice my heart racing as I waited for what I'd hoped would be a celebratory screen, announcing we were a successful match. Then finally, it happened. Say something, the app prompted me. I took the bait attempting to construct five different sentences before deleting every single one. Then, totally out of character, I closed the app and put the phone face down on the nightstand beside me. If there's one thing I've come to realize about my dating history, it's that I always make the first move. An inconvenient truth I can chalk up to my Aries heavy chart. But it wasn't just astrology's fault. Time and time again, I'd heard men say that they love a woman who knows what she wants and goes for it so I believed them. But let me tell you what I've learned in doing so since. It's true. Unless what that woman wants is that man. For as emboldened and admirable as I thought I understood taking action made me, I only ever ended up feeling foolish, desperate, and out of control. And that was without men eventually telling me my directness made them feel intimidated and without purpose. In case you can't hear me rolling my eyes, I thought I'd narrate the action. Because of this and my sordid experience, I decided to do things differently this time and began practicing the most effective exercise counterintuitive to my Mars-driven inclinations, steadying myself. I didn't think it would be that hard. After all, 
I had a lot going on in my life to distract me from the dating scene. Not to mention, I was already close with Kevin's best friend, which, coincidentally, also put me in close proximity with him. And there was one other variable I wasn't ready to admit out loud. I just knew. I knew he was the man from my sound bath experience the moment I saw his face smiling back at me on my iPhone. And the minute I put two and two together, it was like a wave had washed over me. I felt suddenly settled and steady, as if I knew in my bones I could finally stop running. Which is likely why I did. The next morning, I was happy to find a message from Kevin in my inbox. Something I took as a sign of him being actively ready to date, since he was clearly readily checking the app. Beth, huh? That's funny. You look more like Rachel to me. Beth was the alias I used on my dating profile because, well, Jared. And what a cute way to call me out on it. I couldn't help but let the biggest smile crawl across my face. Not just because Kevin had taken initiative, and promptly, but because he'd done so with flirtatious wit. As I swiped across his pictures again, I couldn't believe I'd been so quick to write him off the first time we'd met. Especially when, judging from his pictures, he appeared to be everything I'd been looking for. Tall, dark, handsome, outdoorsy, adventurous, knew how to build things, rode a motorcycle. I quickly reined myself back in, cautious of putting him up on the notorious pedestal I often built for men I hardly knew outside of superficial stats, raw potential, and my wild imagination. The truth was, I didn't know Kevin. Not really. But I did know that I wanted to, and for me, that was a pretty good start. Over the next few weeks, Kevin and I exchanged casual messages back and forth, though neither of us had been in the desert long enough, nor at the same time, to physically meet up. And though it didn't affect me too much at first, by midsummer, I could start to feel myself getting antsy. One thing I hadn't considered behind our matching up on Tinder was that sometimes people swipe left on a friend or acquaintance to be polite, as if giving a friendly wave in passing. And by now, there hadn't been much to indicate whether or not Kevin was looking to do more than just nod at me from a distance. And the more he kept flaking on the few opportunities we did have, the more convinced I became that he had zero romantic interest in me at all. So, I did what any Aries rising in remission would do, and confessed my feelings to his gay best friend. So, do you remember at the saloon when you were trying to get me to hook up with Kevin? Oh my gosh, are you into him now? Because I really think y'all would be so good for each other. I do too, actually. Oh, and you're exactly what Kevin goes for, too. Really? I just don't know if he's in a place to date right now. He's still dealing with his ex, and trust me, she's crazy. I think he's, like, afraid to date anyone now. Well, fuck. It was the perfect roller coaster of an exchange to keep me holding on to something vague and obscure when all I really wanted was a green light or a bullet to put me out of my over-analytical misery. With that plan backfiring in my pretty little face, I knew there was only one way I was going to get the answers I needed, and that was a place no girl ever wants to venture to by herself, let alone willingly. It was within. They say when you meet the one you just know. And boy, are they right. It's a feeling that's hard to describe without sounding crazy, especially when it comes to having limited interaction with someone who was currently in the process of filing a restraining order against their last partner. But I knew. And not in the same way I knew unicorn penis was the one. No, this feeling wasn't built on hope or fantasy or magical dicks. It was built on sheer intuition. And because of this knowledge... It was easy to recognize that not only was the timing slightly off, I didn't feel any need, pressure, or anxiety to force it to catch up. Kevin wasn't ready, but I knew eventually he would be. And trying to impress upon him another relationship before his last was truly in his rearview mirror was a strict boundary I knew I had to keep. If not for my own mental sanity, then for his. My very wise therapist once warned me many, many times Situations like these often lead to expectations, which often lead to resentments, which were beginning to build anyway, despite my awareness and my best efforts, after I'd expected Kevin to have dinner with me and James that very evening, and he hadn't shown up. As I crawled into bed, I reread his text to me. Uh, James is on his way, but unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to make it tonight. Not feeling too great. Next time, though, you guys have fun. It was such an obvious cop-out, I thought. 
and I immediately categorized him with all the other LA guys I hated so much. So you see, my therapist was worth every penny. Deep down, though, I knew his absence wasn't personal. James had basically told me as much. But I figured I needed to convince myself it was in order to refrain from unhealthily fixating on him and spiraling out of control. You see, though it had only happened a few times, I started to take note of a pattern I developed any time I felt rejected by Kevin. I'd get so down it would derail me from all my other daily activities, which made absolutely no sense considering I'd get to even see this person. I began to realize that in all my anticipation, I'd inadvertently created an entire storyline, narrative, and reality in my head that wasn't real at all. In fact, it was based entirely on hope, fantasy, and expectation. And while it was par for the course when it came to my history, I would eventually come to discover this pattern wasn't unique to just my experience alone. In fact, it was all too common amongst women everywhere throughout every walk of life. That night, after James left, I made a promise to myself that any time I started to feel my sense of worth diminishing over a relationship, I'd make a concerted effort to take a step back, refocus, and temper myself. And the funny thing was, every time I did it, I ended up getting exactly what I'd hoped for. Call it distraction or law of attraction, but focusing on my own life and business continued to bring me the things I both wanted and needed. And eventually... That included Kevin. And when our paths finally did intersect, we were both in the perfect mindset. James had invited me to take a tour of another property they were looking at renovating in North Joshua Tree with Kevin. As each of them explained their grandiose ideas for the 12 acres the house sat on, I felt a lightness come over me that I'd never before experienced. There was a kind of trust resting on the winds that often cut through this very spiritual place— that quite frequently caused me to confront who I was at the beginning, while simultaneously gifting me with reckless abandon I only remembered feeling as a child. <laughs> it beckoned me to play, as if I were once again getting dirty, running wild, and reveling in the freedom acres of untouched land somehow promise. Which is why, once we arrived at the end of their property line a few moments later, I looked up at the large berm that indicated it and said, You guys think I could scale that? Heck yeah. You want to try? I'll try if you try. Oh, I'll try. Oh my god, you guys are crazy. Ladies first. Okay. One, two, three. I ran as fast as I could toward the berm, ultimately racing the sand underneath my feet as it crumbled and gave way beneath me. I actually thought I might make it, until the wall drew further and further away and I fell back down toward the ground laughing. It was strange not to care how ridiculous I must have looked, and to know that I'd done it for me, not to show off or get Kevin's attention by doing something out of character I suspected might make him take notice and like me more. Seconds later, Kevin ran full blast just as I had, and after two other failed attempts, he eventually cleared it and was rewarded with more than just our astonishment. Oh my god! What? What is it? Oh my- You guys, you guys gotta come up here and see this. How are we supposed to get up there? Oh, you can just come up around the side here. Come on, quick! You gotta come up here. James and I looked over to see a shallow area where the berm gave way to level land. Oh, well, that would have been a lot easier. Yeah, but not nearly as fun. We both rushed to the top of the berm where I expected to find Kevin with some sort of dire dilemma in front of him, like perhaps the cactus I'd had a brush with on my way up. Instead... Aren't they adorable? Oh my god. Look at him. What are they? Uh, I don't, I don't know. They're like baby mice or something. Maybe those little gophers? Oh my god, they're so cute. Totally worth the cactus needle I got in my hand coming up here. Are you serious? Yeah, but it's okay. I'll just get them out with tweezers. I think I have some in my car. Oh, you guys, look. It's how we met. The three of us laughed, and after a quick Instagram video, left the baby mice to their hiding spot underneath an old ammo cartridge that had been discarded in the dirt. Later that week, James and I stopped by one of their other rental properties to pick up Kevin, who had been working on the backyard, on our way to dinner with some friends who were in town. James opened the door to the main living space where I couldn't help but clock Kevin standing with a blonde woman. She was curvy and athletic, two things I am not, and he gingerly handed her her backpack while they gathered their remaining things. 
He was so thoughtful in his manner, so doting of her in the most casual of exchanges. I felt for sure they were an item, and after getting a candid glimpse of what he must be like in a relationship, I couldn't help but want him more. My heart sank. And just as I began to question why James would have withheld such valuable information from me, he introduced her to me. Oh, Rachel, this is our friend Abby I was telling you about. Abby! A friend of theirs for years who had directed projects they cast. She was initially described to me as an eccentric guy's girl who was weird as shit, but incredibly sweet and lovable. And boy, was she. The four of us piled in James's car with another vehicle of friends in tow, and she and I hit it off right away, which would have made it really aggravating if they'd been together. She was just as strong, loud, opinionated, and crude as I was, and I loved it. So how's it going with the new boy, Abby? I don't know. I just don't think he can handle me. Oh my god. Do you guys often tell you you're intimidating? Yes, and I hate that shit. I know, right? Ugh, it's such a cop-out, yet I get it all the time. Wait, Abby, why don't you think he can handle you? Oh, because he's never been with a squirter before, and he's just all up in arms about what will happen when that does. You squirt? Oh, yeah. I mean, every girl squirts, if you know what you're doing. He caught my eye in the rearview mirror and smiled so quickly that I caught myself, questioning whether or not it had actually happened. I was used to men keeping things close to the vest, but I had to admit, this guy had the best poker face I'd ever seen. I was puzzled, frustrated, and frankly now, quite intrigued. Did he want to fuck me, or was he just fucking with me? The question would gnaw at me for weeks as we worked half-naked underneath a hot summer sun together on construction sites, where innuendo was far too rampant to read into. I searched for obvious and subtle signs he was interested in me, only to refute them once I did, convincing myself there was no way I could ever be mutually attracted to someone who was actually available. Then, one night, I saw my opportunity to get down to the bottom of things once and for all. We were back at the luxury rental. Kevin and James were making dinner. Or, I suppose more accurately, Kevin was making dinner while James and I talked. Or, I suppose more accurately than that, I spoke to Kevin through James while James responded and Kevin cooked. I rambled on slyly about my dating experience and what I was attracted to, what I wasn't, hoping that Kevin was taking as much note as I was of him through my peripheral. Wearing latex kitchen gloves and manning a knife through perfectly proportional cut zucchini slices. He did it with such ease, precision, and delicacy. I already knew he was good with his hands, that much was obvious from the entire house he'd built that we were standing in. But he knew how to use them just as effectively in the kitchen? I wondered what else those hands might be good at. In that very moment, he leaned over and topped off my wine, twisting that bottle upright to cut off the flow like some sommelier. It's almost embarrassing what turns me on. When we were done eating, James, the perfect wingman, proposed we all head outside to stargaze from the hot tub, subtly orchestrating the perfect environment for one of us to make a move, even if it later turned out to be him initiating a threesome. I considered this scenario and wasn't entirely sure I'd turn it down if he did. <sighs> I, I gotta go shower and head to the saloon. Oh, right. Bummer. James turned to face me while Kevin trailed off, looking down at his phone. Not one to let awkward silence linger for too long, I chimed in. Where are you going? Uh, there's this person who's been wanting to meet up with me for a drink for a long time, so I'm just going to run over there and get it over with. Note. Whenever a guy uses vague words like person, someone, they, or them, the person they're referring to is usually a woman. And that woman is usually of a romantic interest. I suppose they suspect we won't crack this ironclad code that's specifically designed to keep women they like or that they know likes them from having hurt or resentful feelings. Note to men, it's not. Not one to let things go unnoticed. I cut straight to the point. So you have a date? Don't worry. I mean, it's, it's not that I, I, you would worry. I mean, it's just, it's fine. It's nothing, actually. Trust me, I'd rather stay here and go in the hot tub. That sounds way more fun. Then why go at all? I mean, if you're this excited about it. I just keep blowing them off and then running into them in town. I mean, it's getting so awkward, I just don't want to keep putting it off. 
Yeah, but Rachel, you and I should still go in the hot tub. Oh, don't worry, we will. I wasn't sure what had come over me, but suddenly, I found myself enjoying the FOMO Kevin seemingly had. And even if he didn't, I was determined to create enough of it to make damn well sure he felt it by the time he left. Even despite his best attempts to impress me once he came out of the shower, having traded in his Brett Michaels bandana for freshly washed wet hair and a collared shirt, I pretended not to take notice of the stark contrast to his typical disposition, covered in dirt, drywall, and paint, as he left me and rushed out the door to meet another woman instead. Once James and I had gotten into the hot tub, I fought my impulse to pump James for more information. Instead, I distracted myself by pointing out constellations and shooting stars I saw. For one, I didn't want to put him in the middle, or let on that I liked Kevin an inappropriate amount that might make either of them cautious of my mental sanity. And two, it didn't really matter, because I already knew. I knew he was on a date, or in the very least a booty call. But I also knew it wouldn't go anywhere, because he was ultimately going to go with me. I just had to be patient. Taking note of the time, I decided on when would be the best time to leave. Though I didn't want to head out before Kevin came back, I certainly didn't want to be lingering around like I was waiting for him to return either. Not just for fear of looking desperate, but because physically witnessing the minutes he was with someone else would only be a disservice to myself. No matter where everyone was at 10.30, I was going home. Unless, of course, by then, I had a reason to stay. No more than 45 minutes after Kevin had left, two headlights washed over the mountain beside us in the hot tub, indicating a car had pulled into the driveway out front. I casually turned my head toward the house to watch the front door, willing Kevin to walk through it. And sure enough... Oh, Kevin's back already. Here, I'm gonna go get another drink. You want anything? Mm, sure. I'll take another. A few moments later, I heard the sound of the sliding glass door rolling on its tracks and saw Kevin approaching me in his swimsuit. I looked toward the kitchen window. James was now bundled up in a robe, pacing the living room while talking to someone on his cell phone. Hello, hello. Hey. James got stuck on a call with Xavier, but he uh, told me to bring you this. He handed me a drink and climbed inside the jacuzzi, sitting across from me with one of his own. Thanks. That was quick. Yeah, well, I wanted to get back here. We were all having so much fun. Though I was pretty sure that was a sign, I didn't want to be too hasty. After all, there were friendships on the line to think about. And I was still very much determined for Kevin to make the first move. But after 30 minutes alone together, gazing at the stars in a hot tub, I decided he needed a push. I wasn't sure what we were talking about that prompted Kevin to tell me to get out of my head, but what prompted me to coyly throw that advice right back in his face was the following interaction. I get so nervous around you. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And so do I. You do? I mean, yeah. Hmm. Well, what should we do about that? <sighs> I'm not sure. I'm conflicted. Come on, Kevin. Get out of your head. And just like that, he kissed me. For the next 20 minutes. I couldn't wait to let Heather know her little trick had worked. She'd suggested the whole, you make me nervous line, and knowing her success rate with getting the men she wanted, I figured it was worth trying for myself. And boy, am I glad that I did. By the time Kevin and I got out of the hot tub, our lips were as waterlogged as the rest of our bodies, and I felt as weightless as I had been in the water. I couldn't believe how I'd ended up in this place of calm certainty. After years of chasing, pining, proving, wandering, forfeiting, it was finally over. I could feel it like an anchor situating itself in my gut. I had finally found my person. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And just as suddenly as I'd realized this meant I'd experienced the last of my first kisses, 
Kevin pulled the rug out from underneath me. It was a few weeks later, at the house we'd been working on together. We'd gone from making out on the roof to making out on the floor of the living room once everyone had left from the workday. I was sitting on his lap with my legs around his waist when he suddenly pulled away from me. I think we should take things slow. I know. Me too. I had to admit I was confused. It was something I'd been telling Kevin for weeks, mostly because I didn't want to have sex with him until I was sure he was in love with me. After all, I was in my mid-thirties and tired of having sex with different people who didn't stick around. And I'd made that extremely clear to Kevin before we slept together a few days earlier. Do you not think we're taking things slow? No. No, I do. I just... I I don't know. I I want this to be casual, you know? I hopped off him as if his dick had been a hot plate I didn't know was on before touching. Casual. I really wish you would have told me that before we slept together. Especially considering how I told you I didn't want to do that unless it meant something. I know, and that's why I didn't want to do it. Then why did you? Because I, I was in the moment, and I, and I like you. I just don't want to fuck this up. Well, you just did. Sorry. Yeah, me too. Can we still be friends? Friends? Sure. Let's be friends. I could feel the rage swelling inside me as I collected my things from around the living room, desperate to get out of the house as fast as I could. Can I at least walk you to your car? Not necessary. It's very dark. I have done it on my own millions of times. I'll be fine. Rachel. What? Can I at least kiss you goodbye? No, I don't kiss my friends. I went home sobbing, mostly for how foolish I'd been in believing he was different, and that he was the one, as if that were even a thing. Then, amongst my tears of disappointment, I realized something quite beautiful. I realized that I was the one, and... I was different. Because there, in the face of betrayal and a broken boundary, I stood my ground. I'd finally come to love myself enough to speak up and stand up for myself and what I deserved. And it was by doing so that Kevin came right back around like a good old boomerang. Welcome back, everybody. All right, let's talk about this story. So really quickly, I just want to address something that I didn't make clear in the last uh, episode. I want to go over the timeline of all of the Kevin situation. So from the time that I had met the guys, which we talked about in the last chapter, to the time that this chapter took place when Kevin and I finally made that romantic connection, it had been a year. So in the time that I had met him and I started hanging out with James, Kevin and I really didn't have much interaction. Like he had been working with James and then he went to Africa for like a month or so, I think, with his mom and grandma. And uh, when I stumbled across his picture on Tinder, I hadn't talked to him in nearly a year. Um, So I was really, really borderline desperate without actually being desperate to connect with him and see him again and catch up because at this point I was in a totally different place in my life from the time when I initially met him. And I just wanted to make that clear because I didn't want people to think, oh my gosh, how did she go from like being in, in such a headstrong space of not wanting to date to like, you know, having this sound bath and what seemed like a couple months later having this epiphany and being like, oh my God, he's the one. It took a while. And the reason I want to make that clear is because it's important to note to let you guys know how long I sat with myself and gave myself time to heal. Because timing really is so important in life. And we were first confronted with the burden of time in the chapter under the microscope when I was telling you guys that I was being confronted with all these life events. Did you want to hit them? Do you not want to hit them? Whenever I went to the gynecologist. Timing is something I never really gave a lot of thought about. I never considered, oh, well, if I want kids, I better have them by this time because after that, my options will be limited. So timing is super, super important. And even though I had met Kevin a year prior to when this chapter took place, in that year, as I mentioned last week, I was still going back and forth and revisiting the idea of Kirk. 
And this is again why I continue to articulate it's so important to spend time alone and fully heal yourself because I wasn't even considering Kevin because my head was totally, totally somewhere else. And let's say hypothetically, I had considered Kevin initially that night when we first met him and went for drinks at the saloon. Who's to say it would have worked out? Because my head and my heart were truthfully somewhere else. And I was in a place where I would have been very comparative, comparing Kevin to Kirk and, and being fixated on my past instead of being open to my future. Timing is the most important thing and it can not be discounted. So the reason I'm telling you this story this week is fairly obvious. Those of you that know how the story ends, Kevin and I are now engaged. But mostly this is a success story because it is showing you guys how I was successfully able to break all of my bad habits and patterns and then reap the benefits that that ultimately rewarded me. The habits really that I focused on changing was putting people on pedestals. The minute I felt myself doing that, I stopped. Not making the first move. Every time I felt like I wanted to do that, I would purposefully be more, I don't want to say submissive, but for lack of a better word, that's all that's coming to my mind. And then every time uh, that I felt myself, this was the biggest one that I kind of brushed upon last week also, every time that I felt myself spiraling or like creating this narrative, I'd cut myself off from having any interaction with anybody because I was convinced that it wouldn't be coming from a clear-headed place and therefore I would sabotage any potential or chance that I had. And then the final thing that I was really actively on top of was not having expectations and managing those when I felt them coming to the surface. And even when I attempted to go back to my old patterns, it's fascinating to see that they didn't work. So for instance, I would go to James wanting him to kind of be my wingman, right? I was trying to manipulate the situation in that way where I wasn't getting what I wanted, so I kind of went to James to have him help kind of orchestrate it for me. And that had worked for me a ton in the past. In fact, that was kind of like my go-to move, if you would call it a move. With Kirk, for instance, we were working on a movie together and I went up to someone that was very close to him and I was like, oh, don't say anything, but I have a crush on Kirk. And I purposely said, don't say anything because I knew that they would then would. So I would always do things like that to kind of orchestrate getting the guy to think that they were making the first move. But really, it was me trying to manipulate the situation to get what I wanted, which I've talked about time and time again in a different capacity in multiple episodes. Don't do it. It doesn't work out. Even when it works out, it doesn't work out because Kirk and I broke up. (laughs) And every boyfriend I ever tried that with, we broke up. Anyhow, I had to find new ways of getting what I wanted. And one of those ways was using vulnerability. And that concept was brought to my attention through my friend Heather, who you'll remember from the very first episode of this season. She was this effervescent, outgoing, magnetic, kind of fiery, wild child that men just constantly gravitated towards. God, it was just like she had her pick of men all the time. So I obviously was very curious about how she did that. And you recall me telling you, only take advice from people that are living the life you want through example. Heather had all of these things at her disposal that I wanted for myself. So those are the people that you should be seeking advice from. Her advice to me was, because she is also very much like me, she's very fiery and and very um, go-getter type attitude. What she wants, she goes out and gets. She's not someone that just sits on the sidelines and waits for it to come to her. She's very proactive. So I was like, well, how do you manage that without coming off in the way that men often tell me makes me intimidating? And she said, well, you have to know how to use your femininity to your advantage. And part of that is using your vulnerability. And what I thought she said was so fascinating was she said, most men are not vulnerable. And so that is very enticing and intriguing to them to see on a woman because of what we're talking about. They want that for themselves. So I thought, okay, cool. I, I will try the vulnerability thing. Admittedly, it's very hard for me. I'm not a person that likes to be vulnerable because for me, that's just a fancier word for weak, which is not the case. That was just 
how I'd been conditioned to think at the time. And so it never occurred to me to even try to use it as as a tool. And I did and it fucking worked. And it was it was so fascinating to me. I do want to talk a little bit about for the women out there listening or even men that get the feedback like you're so intimidating. That is such a fucking frustrating thing to hear. Like the the woman that I met through James and Kevin named Abby in the story. We named her Abby. She is somebody that also got this feedback constantly. And the reason why people would say it is because they couldn't tell what I was thinking. But the biggest one was they felt as though I didn't need anybody. And you all know how I feel about that. Like, yeah, that's right. I don't need anybody. I want somebody. And that's not the mainstream way of thinking yet. So the way to kind of translate that is men need to feel as though they have a purpose in your life. And that purpose is that you want them to have fun ultimately at the end of the day. But again, that's not the mainstream understanding yet. That's the healthy way for it to be, but that's not the healthy way is not infused into the modern day way we view things, unfortunately. So the best way to go about it is, like Heather said, using that vulnerability. Um, Because I think men see vulnerability as a softness that, as I just said, they, they kind of yearn for for themselves. They're intrigued by it. And it also gives off this kind of nurturing vibe, which to them is how they grew up perceiving women and understanding women to be. And therefore, they're playing their role. And then there's room for men to have their role. Again, very old school way of thinking. But we have to keep in mind, like we haven't fully broken those barriers yet to kind of reprogram the gender roles and and how we perceive being in a partnership. Another piece of advice that I got from one of my girlfriends, this is just kind of a sidebar, but I thought it was interesting to talk about. I had this one friend who actually knew Kevin and James through one of their other friends, and she had dated that friend briefly, kind of. I use the term dated loosely. And so she had very strong opinions about this group of friends based on her own experience with the friend that she dated. And she would tell me constantly, which I never held against her and still don't to this day. She would give me her outside perspective based on what I would tell her of my interactions with Kevin. And she said to me, without mincing words, I do not like this guy. I do not like what he's doing to you. And I heard her at the time and I considered it But again, he wasn't doing anything to me. I guess in recalling certain things in real time, it could have seemed like he was leading me on. But again, you have to remember and you have to steal yourself, which is why this story is so important to me because it really was a success of stealing myself and being in control of myself and understanding a narrative versus the reality, which was... He wasn't doing anything to me that I wasn't willing to participate in. So anytime I did feel let on, I was like, okay, time to reel it in, rein it back, and like break any attempt to connect with him for a few days. Because really, when there are no romantic stakes, and let's say we were just friends as we always had been, if you make plans with a friend and then your friend bails, you don't go home and cry about it. You're like, oh, well, like something came up. That sucks, but I'll see him next time. So I knew that I needed to get to that attitude in order to graduate to the romantic level. So anytime she would tell me that, I was very aware of what she was saying, but I would check in with myself after getting her advice and be like, do I agree with this advice? How does it sit in me to hear those, to hear her say those words? Does that kind of make me feel more anxious, less? Do I agree with it? Do I disagree with it? And ultimately, again, I keep talking about how I just knew. And I think a lot of my anxiety was like, I wanted to hurry up and get to the good bits because I did know. There was no doubt in my mind mind that Kevin and I would have a romantic connection and that's not because I was like determined to make it so I just knew and we'll talk more about the feeling of knowing in a second but I basically determined that I loved that my friend was looking out for me and my best interest 
but I didn't think that what she was saying applied to my situation. And I wasn't going to hold that against her. That I think is a really great example of when we talked about earlier, knowing where you lie on a situation before considering and factoring in other outside influences. That's a perfect example of listening to what someone says, but only taking the parts that you agree with and applying it to your situation. So now let's talk a little bit about the frustration that I was getting with Kevin when we were trying to connect and he kept flaking. It's important to note at this time that he had no idea I was romantically interested in him at all. And we did have a lot on the line. We were all kind of working together. We were all really good friends. And we we didn't have a big community out here in Joshua Tree at the time. So to kind of jeopardize that in any way, I think n- never seemed worth it to anybody. But not just that. He was getting over his ex. And without going too much into talking about his business, I know I said it in the story, it didn't end well. He had to get a restraining order. So it was a very real situation. And I didn't want any part of it until the dust had settled. Because again, he wasn't in that place that I keep talking about two people need to be in in order for a successful connection to happen. And recognizing the timing was really, really challenging for me because I knew we would be together. I just didn't know when. And I knew that I was going to just be single until that time did come because I'd found him. There was no use like fucking around with other people. But it was an interesting challenge for me developmentally and evolution wise in this exactly what we're talking about because I was in the thick of learning to be in control of myself. And I had to manipulate myself in order to keep myself paced and sane and not blow it and not get carried away and most importantly, not fall back into these old patterns. And whenever I felt myself falling into the old patterns, like building them up on a pedestal, having false narratives, I had to remind myself actively, you don't really know him. And you can only take his word for things. So when he tells you, yeah, I can't make it tonight, I'm not feeling well, You have to believe him. You can't say, oh, he's just flaking. And it's interesting because that whole concept of he's just not that into you came out. And I think it almost went full-fledged in the complete opposite side of the spectrum. And like for women, so they went from thinking like being really hopeful and optimistic to being being really pessimistic and jaded and not really like having any hope at all. And we need to come back to that middle, that balance. Yes, it's true. You can't read into what they're saying, but you can't not read into what they're saying either and what they're not saying for that matter. So I knew those things and anytime I felt like an emotional wave, I would just really try to implement logic and steal myself. And the best way to do that was to just cut myself off and be alone. Like that became my go-to, my new pattern. Anytime I started to go down old patterns, my new pattern would be... Cut yourself off and be alone. Being alone was my safe space. And the great part about that was that when we did connect, I didn't have any resentments and there weren't any misgivings. And I wasn't going into the situation with a chip on my shoulder and like making mountains out of molehills where there weren't even molehills potentially. My realizations about Kevin and why I knew. People always say, when you meet the one you know, What the fuck does that mean, right? I'm going to tell you. When he and I and James went to this berm that we talked about and I was like, you want to try to scale it? That was the first time I stepped back and realized I wasn't doing anything, quote unquote, out of character to impress anyone. Like that was genuinely me. That was me connecting to who I was Honestly, before moving to Los Angeles had turned me into a jaded, cynical person. (laughs) It was me when I was a kid. I felt really wild and free and comfortable and safe and just like grounded. And so when I suggested scaling, I was just kind of like, I think I was going to do it whether they were going to do it with me or not. It just kind of became a playful scenario. And when Kevin was down for it, I liked it. I was like, cool, you know, we both have this young at heart, playful energy. 
that I think, you know, is really important for someone that I'm going to be in a partnership with to have. Because that really is a large part of my personality deep down that I've suppressed for so, so long. Being a businesswoman and living on my own and having to have my own back and all the things. And I think that that's a really big indicator that you're paired with the right person when you feel like yourself, yourself at your most baseline level. We've talked about this thing I mentioned, girlfriend contouring, where you try to fit the role of the girl you think the guy you like is looking for, i.e. the surfer chick, the the rock girl, the outdoorsy girl, uh, the CrossFit girl, insert whatever. But this was the first time that I wasn't putting on an outfit. I was just living in, you know, my birthday suit, so to speak. And the other thing about Kevin, (laughs) which it really is embarrassing what turns me on, but When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, you know, the the things that do do and I can't explain it or make excuses. But I go back to this list that you have when you're shopping, so to speak, for a partner. And the list changes through the decades as you get older and as you mature. But the thing that was really, really funny about when I first met Kevin and when I first meet anybody for that matter, the stakes are so high that I feel like I have blinders on. Like, I don't see somebody for who they really, really are because I I feel pressure from the stakes of the situation. So being friends or being in the same circle of friends as Kevin for a year afforded me the opportunity to, like, actually observe him. Not in a romantic way, just to observe him, who he is as a person, who he is as a friend, how he is day to day and in the Home Depot, how he is with cashiers, how he is like, you know, parking his car, like these bullshit things that aren't actually bullshit. They actually mean a lot. And they replace the things on the list that I referenced in the episode Restructuring Your Company where they replace those things on the list that you're looking for that kind of supersede noticing the things that actually matter so being Kevin's friend for so long and observing him from a distance in a non-romantic way allowed me to kind of you know understand that he was a good kind-hearted person that was dependable reliable self-sufficient outgoing like all, all the things that really mattered but then when I started looking at him romantically after that I started noticing all these different things about him and a lot of them are superficial that he just happened to do. And I was like, that's so crazy. It was kind of like flipping the script and I noticed these things in in a different capacity. I understood them differently. I saw them in a different light. They meant more. They carried more weight or I just noticed them at all. And they were things like, I'll explain why, why the way he poured wine It wasn't just that it was sexy to me. It was that the way he did it was very gentle. And what that conveyed to me was like, this is somebody that is gentle and thoughtful just in basic mannerisms and hand motions and tasks. And if they're they're that thoughtful and gentle in something that small, you know, that could mean that they're thoughtful and gentle on a bigger scale. And for me, I already knew he was thoughtful and gentle on a bigger scale because I knew him as a friend. So then when I saw it in this smaller light under a romantic microscope, it then became sexy. So I guess that's what I'm trying to explain here. There were just so many things like he was so good with his hands. And I dated this guy a long time ago. He was probably the one that got away before I met Kevin. 
And he had amazing hands. And I never noticed I was very attracted to hands and wrists. What men did with their hands was very symbolic and important for me. And he used his to build and cook. And it was so crazy to me how he could use his hands to do really tough labor. And then he could also use them delicately to cook and pour wine. Like I I thought that that juxtaposition was so sexy and irresistible. And then of course, like he was an outdoorsy guy and he did have the physical appearance I was looking for. And he was self-sufficient. He lived near me locally. (laughs) He was into yoga and very open to spirituality. And the biggest thing, so my aha moment with Kevin And this is why I said last episode to remember that point in the commentary about the audition that I had. When I came across Kevin's photo on Tinder and I was like, oh my God, he's the guy from the sound bath, like physically. And I'm looking at his pictures and I'm like, oh my God, he's he's hitting all the checklists and I already know him to be this really great guy. And how did I miss this? I knew him the whole time. This is exactly what the sound bath told me. It was somebody I already knew, but I didn't even like consider Kevin I didn't even think about him but then my head went back to the moment I got that audition and how he handled me in that moment he didn't get his feathers ruffled at all like my energy did not affect him and he was the pillar of strength and stability and it was the first time I'd ever seen a guy handle me (laughs) like truly He handled me in the way that I needed to be handled without it being him handling me. I vividly went back to that moment where he was just so calm and he was this pillar of strength and stability. And it became very clear to me that that is what I'd been after my whole life. Somebody that could stand firm regardless of how I was overreacting, underreacting, like he was his own fucking person. And he would be that person for me no matter the state that I was in. And so it was kind of this snapped into focus, totally understood. And that was the moment I knew. It was remembering that precise night, that precise moment, that precise situation and how he responded to it in juxtaposition to how I responded to it. And then I was like, oh my God, he's my person. Now again, to get really more into the meat of knowing what it means to know, the other thing that came up for me was like, All of the other guys I dated, it suddenly made sense. Like connecting the dots. Oh, I dated this person because that person brought me to this person, which brought me to that profession, which brought me to this person, which brought me to this. And then here I am now with Kevin. And it was like any resentment, anger, animosity that I had towards those men in my prior relationships just fucking went away. It just suddenly had no power over me. It didn't matter. I forgave them. I understood. These things that I took personally no longer had a personal hold over me. It was just like, even like a unicorn penis who just like really brought out the worst in me. It was like suddenly I was like, oh my God, that whole relationship, I understand it now. No malice. He wasn't trying to hurt me. You know, it it just was like all of a sudden I forgave and the power that they had over me, whether big or small, whether it dissipated over time or not, it just left and it was the best feeling. And so I would say like that's how you know when you know, when suddenly everybody that you dated makes sense and all of the negative feelings you have toward them just totally dissipate and leave you. I think that's how you would know. And aside from that, going back to this gut feeling that I had where it felt like an anchor had just situated itself in me, I just felt really calm and at peace. There was no pressure or sense of urgency to rush into a relationship with him because I was worried someone would scoop him off the market. I knew he wasn't even really on the market because he wasn't healed. And I understood that somebody like him wouldn't seriously consider dating unless he was. And I knew he wasn't, as I referenced his ex-girlfriend still being in the picture. Now you might be thinking, but Rachel, didn't he abandon you with James at that house to go meet up with somebody at a bar? Why, yes. Yes, he did. And now let's talk about that. He wasn't really seriously dating. I knew that. I knew that deep down in my gut. So that's why I can tell you, it genuinely didn't bother me. It bummed me out. But what I should say is it didn't threaten me. 
It didn't threaten me to the point where, you know, it, I got my panties in a twist. It, I just, I just wasn't worried. And I did know that he was going out to meet a girl. And when he came back so quickly, I definitely knew that he was going out to fuck a girl. <laughs> but in my head, keeping in mind my boundaries that I'd implemented, like that was fine because I didn't want to sleep with somebody. So him sleeping with somebody didn't affect me because he wasn't going to be getting that from me until we had reached a certain point emotionally and had that emotional connection or tie. A lot of people don't understand how I was okay with this, but I I think in my head I was like, okay, you still don't truly know him. You have no hold over him. Even if we were in a relationship, I wouldn't say that I had a hold over somebody. But what I mean is he wasn't committed to me. There was no obligation to me where he needed to be faithful at all. So for me, I was like, that's cool. You go have your booty calls and, you know, go through your band-aids in this transitional period before you're ready to actually enter a new serious relationship. I'm not going to be in that group of people that provides that for you. That was my standard. That was my boundary. That was my way of protecting myself from my past hurt. So I was comfortable with him getting that from other places because I knew he wasn't going to get it from me. I wouldn't allow that. And I also just knew that those were not like he wasn't in a place for any of those relationships if there had been a connection for those relationships to flourish and be successful because again he still was dealing with his ex that wasn't going to go away and when you're with somebody that is dealing with your ex and it finally does go away more often than not that person just like yeah you kind of start your relationship I'll use my relationship with unicorn penis They're kind of like, yeah, okay, now I'm in a good place, but now I found somebody that I actually want to be in a good place with more than you. And I think that's just kind of like part of being the Band-Aid. I didn't want to be in that position. And part of that had to do with me having control over myself. Like, I knew what I had to offer. I knew how special I was and I knew the right person would see those things and not take it for granted and not pass up the opportunity to be with it. And that's not egotistical in any way, shape or form. That is how every fucking person should think, especially when it comes to dating or going for a job for that matter. That's the kind of confidence I'm talking about without being arrogant. It's just the confidence. There's no insecurities, no jealousy. You're just you and you know what that means. I think the other thing that I kind of had going for me that helped was my past experience and recent experiences with the farmer and Jared. Like they were so into me so quickly and it really was off-putting and I didn't want to kind of come off that way to Kevin, not just because I didn't want to push him away. I didn't want to come off psychotic to James because... So I had originally named these stories The Ones because James was like the one for me. He was like the one best friend I'd been looking for. And Kevin was like the one I'd been looking for to spend my life with. And then ultimately at the end, I realized I was the one. I'm the one that matters, that's in control, and am capable of getting whatever life I want and filling it with whatever I want. And so then I kind of just, you know, did my old school thing. And I was like, ah, pun, the perfect prick. That's a penis reference. Let's do it. (laughs) But um, that's the thing is I didn't want to jeopardize my relationship with these ones, with these really special people that I felt really grateful to have in my life finally after years of trying to find people like this. After Kevin and I did make this romantic connection finally in the hot tub and things started to go really well, uh, he did this like retreat thing. And it wasn't surprising to me because, again, I wasn't sure that he was totally, totally ready to kind of embark on a romantic journey. But I knew that he was entertaining the idea and a couple pages behind me. So when he said he wanted to take things slow and stuff, the only reason it caught me off guard was because of this miscommunication we had about sleeping together. I had made it very clear I didn't want to sleep with somebody unless they wanted to be in a relationship with me. And that wasn't a trap. That was my boundary that I had set, that I made very clear. If you and I have sex, expect me to start acting like you're my boyfriend. Because 
That is what you will become. That's what that symbolizes for me. And I don't want to feel embarrassed or uncomfortable or gaslit if like you start thinking that I'm a clingy, irrational psycho because of that. Like, no, no, no. I want to make this very fucking clear before the act even happens. So when Kevin retreated and was like, yeah, I want to, I want to have things casual. Ooh, God, that was a trigger word for me for sure. Because casual implies like a Band-Aid. That's what I heard. And I was like, what the fuck, dude? If there was anything that was going to ruin our friendship, it was that. Because I felt like it was so disrespectful after the conversations we had. There was something still deep down where I knew he was just kind of freaking out because he wasn't ready. And I just understood he was like not there yet, but wanted to be there and knew that he would be there. And he was like so wrapped up in like fucking it up or doing the wrong thing or getting there too quickly. And this is why I've said in past episodes, as long as one person is in that really healthy headspace, two people can get there as long as the second person or party is actively working on it. Because the person that's there already understands what it looks like enough to trust in it and have the patience. And that's what was going on with me. And I don't mean to sound like elitist, but I you have to remember I had just come through this journey. So all these lessons were so fresh on my mind and I knew what they looked like and I and I understood them in real time and and on other people. But still, when he said it, I wasn't going to make the mistakes of my past where I was going to let him get away with it and make him think that it was okay. So this was the proudest moment I had because yes, I was upset and yes, he knew I was irritated and annoyed, but at no point did I fly off the handle, yell, swear, throw it in his face. I was just like, okay, that's where you're at. That's cool. This is where I'm at. We're done. And I saw the panic in his eyes. I say this to people and I've said this in a past episode as well. I didn't do this to get a reaction or action out of him. I did this because this was a hard boundary that I had formed. I was like, I'm not going to sleep with you again. No, I'm not going to kiss you goodbye because if we're going to be friends, friends do not do that. I do not want to make the waters murky. Like it's very crystal clear to both parties where we're at and there will be no mincing of words and no misunderstandings. Me doing that and standing up for myself and standing my ground and, you know, not backing down and being confident in my confrontation is what perpetuated his attraction to me and made the stakes of losing me for him higher because I was then showing traits that he really wanted in somebody. Whether he knew that or not, he was realizing it as it was happening especially because he was going through what he was going through with his ex-girlfriend who was showing a very, very different demonstration of actions than I was. So I didn't do it to get him to react the way I wanted. But in essence, that is what ended up happening. Me doing that got me what I wanted. Not because I was trying to manipulate him to give it to me, but because that's what happens when you do that. You get what you want, whether it was going to be from Kevin or from someone else. And I cannot emphasize that enough. That is why it is so important. It is hard to do, but it is very, very rewarding if you can do it. And this story is a perfect example of that. Because now... Kevin and I went on to date and successfully and then we moved in together and then we were trapped together during COVID and now we're engaged and we're getting married. All of these things that I knew deep down, I knew. Obviously, here we are. I'm just telling you this story as a success story because I really believe that when women get in control of themselves and start calling the shots... They cultivate the life that they really want and have been after for so long. And instead of being confused of why we're not getting it because we're leaving it up to a guy who we think, you know, oh, the guy needs me to need him in order to feel relevant. So, you know, I, I'm going to make sure he knows that I need him. No, you don't need a guy. You need yourself and you just want a guy. And there are ways through my friend Heather showing your vulnerability, your soft feminine side that will attract the right males for you. And I cannot emphasize that enough. So 
that's it for this week. That's the commentary. Thank you all for listening. Remember to like, subscribe, rate, and review. Send us your inquiries or comments to info at howbitchesaremade.com and follow me on Instagram at the Rachel Melvin. I want to give a special thank you to those who helped out with our reenactments for this episode. James LeGrop, Kevin Barrett, Sarah Schulte, and of course, the very memorable Steve Tom, who always does our advisory every week. Make sure you join us for our next episode. I'm going to bring Kevin himself on to talk about last week's chapter and this chapter, parts one and two, The Perfect Prick, so you can get a little bit of his perspective on these events, which I think will be really, really fascinating and interesting for you guys to hear, so make sure you tune in for that. And other than that... Remember, consistency is key. Stay bitchy, my friends. How Bitches Are Made is written and produced by Rachel Melvin. 